Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't see risking a war over the disposal of three horses from Tunis. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known transcribed stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Today's Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. But first, a word about our purpose in presenting this series. To Americans, there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of the lives of the men who became presidents of the United States. Their deeds are direction pointers for the American mind, sources of inspiration and courage to young and old alike. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their presidents, the men who became the leaders of their country. The American Broadcasting Company takes listeners behind the White House reception rooms and ballrooms into the privacy of the breakfast room and study where presidents are shown as individuals with human doubt, laughter, love, and faith. We invite you to listen now for today's story of Mr. President and see if you can name the president upon whom this incident is based. Here's a story that happened a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. The hour was late, and the two men had been sitting deep in thought for many long hours in the study. 
Finally, the president yawned wearily. What time is it, Jim? Almost two in the morning. Is it really? (sighs) You know one thing I've certainly found out? The president of the United States can't count on getting very much sleep. What are we going to do about the Bay of Tunis? (laughs) You know, every time you say the Bay of Tunis, it startles me. It always sounds as though you were speaking of a body of water. (laughs) All right, I'll refer to him from now on as the B-E-Y of Tunis. (laughs) Or would you rather I called him the ruler of Tunis? (laughs) As a matter of fact, I don't really care how you refer to him as long as you help me decide what to do about him. You really think the matter's worth all the time and thought you're giving to it? Yes, I do, Jim. We've got to do our best to preserve peace with all nations, small ones as well as large ones. When does the Tunisian ambassador arrive? Next week. And the situation between Tunis and America is that our Navy seized a Tunisian cruiser and two prizes it had captured, correct? Correct. And the ambassador is coming here to demand the surrender of those ships and some sort of tribute. And he's bringing some Arabian horses as a gift to you from the Bay of Tunis. That's right. And you can't accept any gifts without the consent of Congress. Hmm? That about sums up the problem? Yes. Now we have reacquainted ourselves with the facts with which we were already well acquainted. If I don't accept those horses, we may so offend the Bay of Tunis that we could find ourselves at war with him. You know, it's not easy being the President of the United States. It certainly isn't. Nor is it easy being a member of the President's Cabinet. Uh, Did you make any arrangements about quarters for the ambassador and his staff? Yes, I spoke to Mr. Steele, and he's going to prepare rooms for the ambassador and his staff at his hotel. You know, of course, that we have to take care of all of their expenses. How long do you think they'll stay? I haven't the faintest idea. Jim, I'm tired. Tell me, Mr. President, how are your daughters? I haven't heard you mention them the last few days. Oh, Martha is splendid. I had a letter yesterday. I haven't heard from Maria, though. Well, what are we going to do about the Bay of Tunis? I don't know, Jim. I just don't know yet. I guess we'll just have to see what he has to say when he gets here. Mr. President, the most distinguished and honored President of the United States of America... The foremost among those who profess the religion of the Messiah, of whom may the end be happy, greetings from your friend and well-wisher, the Bay of Tunis. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I return greetings to the Bay of Tunis from his friend and well-wisher, the President of the United States. The Bay of Tunis has sent to his beloved friend and neighbor, the President of the United States, a gift of three Arabian steeds which I will be pleased to present to you tomorrow. The Bay of Tunis is most gracious and extremely generous, but perhaps he doesn't know that, according to the law of this country, his devoted friend, the President of the United States, is not permitted to accept gifts of any nature. The Bay of Tunis is sure that, because of the deep and lasting friendship between his country and the United States, that the President of the United States will be gracious enough to accept the gifts he sends in brotherly love and devotion. The Bay of Tunis further wishes me to state to his esteemed friend, the President of the United States, that he is sure that the ships seized by the uninformed men of the United States Navy will be returned immediately 
and that his loved friend, the President of the United States, will see that he is paid a three-year tribute in naval stores, so that the great friendship between the Bay and the President and their respective countries need not be placed in jeopardy. Having no wish to jeopardize the friendship between Tunis and the United States, we will take the gifts and grievances of the Bay of Tunis under our respectful consideration. President! Mr. President! Yeah, here I am, Jim. Here I am. What are you doing out here in cold without anything on your head? Oh, it's not very cold. I was just walking around out here thinking. I'm certainly not going to agree to this government paying any money or tribute to Tunis. Well, let's go inside. It may not be too cold out here for you, but it's certainly too cold for me. All right, if you're cold. Have you had any word from Maria yet? No, not yet, I wrote a letter a few days ago asking if anything was wrong, but I haven't had any answer. I told my wife I'd ask you if I could have dinner with you. She's having some ladies in, and I'd rather like to stay out of the way. Oh, well, you're more than welcome. I thought I was going to have to dine by myself. Here, let's go in by the fire until dinner is ready. I like this room. It has a lot of warmth and charm. Oh, your wife had a lot to do with that. She certainly has been a help to me in more ways than I'll ever be able to tell her. That's what friends are for. If my wife had lived, I... Well, no use thinking about that. You can't help thinking about it. I know that. All day she seemed so, so close to me. I I can't explain it. She's been gone for so many years, and yet today... So many times I've looked up and thought I saw her passing a window or a doorway or smiling at me across a room. I can't explain it, but she seems so close today. Doesn't she every day? No, not like this. Only once before did she seem as close. When was that? I often thought afterwards that it was because she knew I needed her. It was in Paris. It was the day I received word that our youngest daughter, Lucy, had died. Well, Jim, can I get you something else? Oh, no, thank you. I couldn't eat another thing. Oh, I wonder who that could be at this hour. Who knows? Perhaps the ambassador from Tunis with further requests from the B.E.Y. <laughs> Mr. President. Yes, what is it? I'm sorry to disturb you like this at your meal, sir, but my message is urgent, and the servant said I could come right in. Oh, well, that's all right. What is your message? It's your daughter, Mrs. Epps. Maria? Sir. She's very ill, sir. They think you should come at once, Mr. President. Oh, is she still at my farm? Yes, sir. I'll leave at once. I'll go with you. No, no, Jim, uh, your, your wife. No, you I'm be... going with you. I'll order the carriage. You get together whatever things you want to take. You can stop at my house. I'll tell my wife what has happened. Well, the sooner we start, the better. I'll have someone get a meal for you at once, my son. And you'll stay here, of course, and rest. Oh, thank you, Mr. President. You're welcome. <laughs> Sky's beginning to lighten. It'll be dawn soon. Ah, yes. Life plays queer tricks on us, doesn't it, Jim? Here I am at the pinnacle of success as we measure pinnacles in this country. President of the United States. When I first entered office, the people weren't quite sure about me. Yes, they were. 
You were elected, weren't you? Yes, but still a lot of people weren't sure. They were waiting for me to prove myself. And only lately have I felt that they have given me their complete confidence. It isn't enough to be president in the people's minds. You must be president in their hearts as well. I think now at last I am. Political success has been given me, but personal happiness, no. My wife is gone, our youngest child, and now Maria is ill. What good is success without happiness, Jim? What good is it? What good is the friendship of the populace if you can't have the love and faith of your family? If my daughter dies, Jim, I don't want to live. I don't want to live. This doesn't sound like you. How much can a man's heart stand? How much sorrow can be thrust upon it before it collapses under the weight of that sorrow? How often can death enter a man's life and still leave him alive? God gives us strength for the hours that we must meet. God will give you the strength to face whatever you must face. I'm confident of that. Besides, there's no reason to think these thoughts. She may be better by now. She may come running down to the gates herself to meet you. All this day I wondered why my wife seemed so close. And now at the day's end, I know. At last, I know. just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Today, our school system is facing a crisis. Yes, today, many of our schools lack sufficient teachers, classrooms, and facilities. Enrollment is higher than it's ever been before. That enrollment will be increased by a million more children each year until 1956. Naturally, the crowding of millions of additional children into our schools calls for different measures in different localities. In some, it means that more money will have to be spent on school buildings. Other communities will need more equipment. But above all, there's a growing need for teachers. And this shortage will continue until the teaching profession is made more attractive to the young men and women now deciding on their life careers. So as a good citizen, work with local civic groups and school boards actively seeking to improve educational conditions. Remember, better schools make better communities. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, you know, so listen closely. Country is beautiful this time of year. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, it seems to me we've been traveling weeks instead of days. I've lost all track of time. This part of the country should look very familiar to you. You're almost home. Yes, yes. Along this very road I walked when I was young and rode a horse when I was older. I traveled this road one wild winter night when I took my bride to my home. I remember saying to her, this house is as I dreamed it and planned it in my boyhood. Yet never has it seemed complete or right to me until now. This moment that I see you standing here, the mistress of my house. We walked along this road the day she told me we could expect our first child. And I remember that I cried a little because life, 
was so much more wonderful than dreams, and the plan of the Almighty so much more wonderful than any plan the mind of man might devise. That was all such a long time ago. Those days were over so long ago. Your life has been very full. You've already lived several men's lifetimes in your span of years. You've married, raised a family, become a statesman, foreign minister, an inventor. I don't think there's anything in the world you can't do. Oh, there are many things I can't do, Jim. And do you know the most important thing right now? What? I can't hold back death. Here we are at last, Jim. Father. Oh, Father, thank heaven. Hello, Martha. How is your sister? Very low, Father. Hello, Jim. Hello, Martha. I'm certainly stiff. How about you, Mr. President? I doubt if I'll ever get the kinks out of me. Father, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, hello, John. You know my son-in-law, don't you, Jim? Oh, yes, of course. It's good to see you again, Mr. Epps. Thank you. It's good to see you. The doctor's with Maria now. He sent us all out. Come. Let's go in. What does the doctor say? He hasn't held out much hope. Uh, it's been like a nightmare, sitting there by her bed, watching her slip away, helpless to do anything. I know, I know. Let me go right up to her, won't you? How are the children, John? Oh, they're splendid, sir. We've tried to keep them from realizing how ill Maria is. Yes, yes, of course, of course. How long can you stay? I'll stay as long as necessary. Jim, uh, you'd like to go up to your room and rest, wouldn't you? No. I'll go and wait outside the door with the rest of you. <laughs> Oh, good afternoon, Doctor. Tell me, how is she? Oh, about the same. No better? No worse. Tell me honestly, what are her chances? You're asking me a question that only God can answer, Mr. President. What chance do the blossoms have when the storms come? What chance does a swallow have when its wing is broken? We don't know. We do what we can, and then we pray. Uh, may May I see her? Yes, of course. But only for a moment. I don't want her excited. I wanted to rest. I understand, I understand. Uh, uh, would you rather I, I didn't see her yet? No, no, no. I want you to see her. Come. Oh, Maria. Maria. Father. Oh, Father, I'm so glad you're here. I'd have been here sooner if I'd known you were ill. I didn't want them to tell you. You have so much to do. Oh, Sit there by the bed where I can look at you. You won't leave me now, will you, Father? No, my dear, I won't leave you. I'm afraid. Isn't that foolish? But I can't seem to help. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid, my child. I'm here. I'm right here beside you. Oh, Father. That's what you used to say when I'd cry in the night and you'd come in. Remember, Father? I'm afraid, I'd say. I'm afraid, Father. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Why, Maria, a big girl like you, afraid? What are you afraid of? Of the dark. (laughs) But, Maria, you're ten years old now. Big girls of ten aren't afraid of the dark. They aren't? No, they are not. 
Why? Well, because they know there's nothing in the dark that can harm them. I'm ten and I don't know that. Maria, you mustn't be afraid of things. Remember how you were afraid to leave Aunt Epps and come to Paris to join Martha and me? Yes, I remember. And when you got to Paris, you liked it, didn't you? Yes. And you cried when I first took you to the school, but now you like that, don't you? Yes. So, you see, just because you haven't experienced something, you mustn't be afraid of it. You must look upon life as a series of adventures. And you must look forward to the new things that happen to you. You're not afraid of the dark, Father? No, of course I'm not afraid of the dark. Will you sit there by the bed while I go to sleep? Yes, my dear. I'll sit here. Now tell me, how about your prayer? Oh, yes. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, Father. You won't leave me, will you? No, and don't be afraid, child. I'm here. I'm right here beside you. Oh, Father, I do love you so much. Good night, Father. Father, I'll sleep now. Good night. Good night. That's what I'd say. And you'd sit there. And if I went to sleep, I could see you. And I knew that everything was all right because you were there. Remember? I do remember. Father, say the prayer with me. Of course, my child. Now Now I I lay lay me down down to sleep. sleep. I I pray pray the Lord my soul soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a lovely prayer, isn't it? Yes. I never thought much about it before. But that's a lovely prayer. Good night, Father. Good night, Marie. Thank you for teaching me so so long ago not to be afraid of the dark. Good night, Father. I'll sleep now. Good night, Father. Good night, my child. Sweet dreams. Good night, Father, are you down here? Yes, I'm here, Martha. Dinner's ready. Oh, I don't think I can eat, Martha. You and Marie were my whole world. And now, half my world is gone. No, Father, you're mistaken. We aren't your world. We're your family. Your world lies out yonder in the darkness where the nation waits for you. Your world is Congress and the Cabinet and the people and the Tunisian ambassador, and the French ambassador, and all the other foreign ministers. Your world stretches far beyond your family. Your world, Father, is expressed in those three words you know so well. We the people. They need you, and you need them. 
And they're waiting for you now. So you must put sorrow aside and go back to them. You have an appointment with history. You must keep it. I... I don't know if I can. You can and you will. Now, you took an oath. You'll not go back on it. A man's word and the integrity of his word must come before any other consideration. Martha, where did you learn all that? Why, from my father. From you. President. Mr. President. Her? What is it, you? What? <sighs> I thought you might like to know we're back in Washington. They're almost home. Oh, thanks for waking me. It wouldn't do for anyone to see the President of the United States napping in his carriage, would it? Well, it doesn't look too good. People might think you weren't on the job. How do you feel? All right, ready to go to work. How about you? If you're ready, I'm ready. What are we going to tackle first? Well, first we're going to settle the problems of the Tunisian ambassador. I want those horses sold for whatever money we can get for them, and I want the money deposited in the treasury to defray some of the ambassador's expenses. Yes, Mr. President. And I want the Tunisian ambassador sent for immediately. Yes, Mr. President. And if Congress has anything to say about it... Yes? I'll listen. Mr. Ambassador, let us dispense with our usual interchange of compliments and get straight to the point, shall we? If the most esteemed President of the United States desires to dispense with the compliments and good wishes of his devoted friend, the Bay of Tunis, as communicated through the voice of his humble servant and ambassador, I will, of course, accede to your wishes. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I appreciate that very much. Now, to, completely, to be completely blunt, uh, what you want is the return of your ships, tribute and money. Is that correct? Well, we have not said precisely that in so many words, Mr. President. What the Bay of Tunis wishes to point out to his honored friend, the President of the United States... In a word, is that what you want? Yes or no, Mr. Ambassador? In a word, Mr. President. In one word, Mr. Ambassador. Well, in one word. Yes. All right, now here's your answer. In plain language, Mr. Ambassador, the United States will not give you any tribute and will not give you one single dollar. Well, we were hardly interested in one dollar, Mr. President. No dollars. No tribute. This will hardly be pleasing to my illustrious monarch, the Bay of Tunis. You may tell the Bay of Tunis that the President regrets to say that he must adopt a firm stand in this matter. But as a proof of the great friendship of the United States for the Bay, the President of the United States has directed that the ships taken by us as lawful prize be restored to the Bay of Tunis. I will so inform the Bay of Tunis. I am sure my esteemed monarch will consider the settlement disappointing in the extreme, but acceptable. I am happy to hear this, Mr. Ambassador. You will kindly convey to the Bay of Tunis the greetings of, and good wishes of his friend, the President of the United States. Well, 
Well, Jim, it's all settled. Tunis is happy, the bay is happy, and the ambassador has gone home happy. After a nine-month stay at the expense of this government. I know, I know, but at least it's all settled now. You know, it's far from an easy thing to be president of the United States, Jim. It's far from an easy thing to be president of the United States. You'll find that out in time yourself. Will I, Mr. President? I'm sure you will, Jim. I'm sure you will. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Since the time the greatest story ever told went on the air, it has received many awards from church groups and magazines. One of the highest tributes paid this outstanding program came from a leading magazine which said in its citation, It remains unexcelled in the field of religious programs for being all around good radio listening for the entire family and for all major face, we might add. For the letters written to the greatest story ever told show that all face are equally enthusiastic about the series. In fact, many listeners reported they are discovering unsuspected ties between their religion and others as a result of the program. So join today the millions of American families who listen to the greatest story ever told each Sunday when it's presented over ABC. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, Mr. Madison? Well, Mr. President? No, we must reverse that now. It's you who are the president. And may God bless you and help you as he did me. I never thought I'd hold this office. I knew you would. Yes. And I shall always be proud to say that long before my hour came, a great man told me that one day I would serve as president. One of the greatest men of my time, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Be with us again next week, won't you, for another story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This transcribed program was produced and directed by Dick Woolen. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Thomas Jefferson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs> <laughs>